0: Did you get a good answer? What would you like our church to be known for? I'm hoping that question is what goes through your head and your heart through this entire next series. Basically, it's going to take us all the way up to Christmas when we start getting into December series stuff. So I want you to try to think back with me. Do you remember the first time you learned to catch a ball? Now, I would imagine most of you can't think back that far. Most of you don't remember the first moment when you actually learned to catch it. I'm in a cool season as a dad because I'm still seeing my kids experience those first moments, right? So we've been, of course, watching a lot of football, and we watch a lot of Clemson football, which means we get bored of watching the football game by about the second quarter. (laughs) Anyway, some of you really do, never mind, I'll stop there. So, of course, they're like, well, what else are we going to do? I was like, well, let's go play football. So we go in the backyard, and, and we start playing football. And, and it's been fascinating watching my kids learn the game, not by watching, but by actually playing. And so, of course, we, we kind of do our version of that. But when I throw the ball to them, it's hilarious to watch. This 8- and 5-year-old, just the world stops as they try their very best to catch this football. Right, of course I'm trying to I've never played football if you can't tell. And so I do my best to explain some of the, the fundamentals on on how to watch the ball and how to catch and and just their focus is incredible. The way that they focus, the moment the ball leaves my hand, the moment it comes into their hand, how focused they are on making sure they catch that ball. And they don't catch it every time, of course. But then on the one time that they catch it, it's like the best thing in the entire world because they finally put it all together. They were finally able to catch it. Now, for me and you, I should say maybe most of you, catching a ball, catching a football is really no big deal right? We can even multitask. I can stand up here and talk through it, and I can kind of throw the ball back and forth. If I were to give you the ball, you could probably have a conversation with me while catching the ball, because you've already learned how to catch the ball. You've caught it so many different times. It's no longer a big deal. It's just another motion that you can do mindlessly, right? There's a lot of things in life where that is a positive, where it's actually a benefit to be able to have certain motions be second nature, Where you don't have to think about it anymore, you just do it. There's tons of great examples of those. However, in our spiritual lives, I would hope that we never just go through our faith on autopilot. I would hope we never get so used to doing certain mo or certain movements and motions in our faith that it's just, oh, that's just what we do. I don't even have to think about it anymore. It's It loses its meaning, it loses its purpose because you've done it so many different times. It's just what we do. As a church and as individuals, as believers, it's very easy to just, you know this phrase, go through the, finish it for me, the motions. That's right. It's very easy to just go through the motions. Going through the motions doesn't mean the motion is wrong. Going through the motion means you've forgotten your purpose. So the motions might be correct, But do you remember why? Do you pause long enough to remember the purpose, the intentionality? Why do we do the things that we do, so to speak? In the book of Revelation, yes, we're going to be going through the book of Revelation. Now, I need to give a little preference to going through the book of Revelation. No, we are not going to go through every single chapter in Revelation. No, this is not a series on the end times. In fact, my personal belief is that Revelation was written to do something that we have taken out of context, Instead of trying to figure out, is it the end of days? Is it not the end of days? Ooh, this is totally happening right now. Did you read that in there? Instead of us getting all worked up over that, what I read through Revelation, the purpose of Revelation, was actually written to specific local churches, seven local churches, with the intent to encourage them and to strengthen them so that these churches, no matter the difficulties that they would go through, they would know that in the end, we win. So regardless of what your thoughts are on the book of Revelation and end times and all these other things, what we are going to focus on is what Jesus said to those seven churches. And what you're going to notice as we look at these seven churches throughout the next six weeks, what you're going to notice is that Jesus, for most of them, told them something they were doing great. Congratulations, you are awesome at this, but you've got some problems here. Usually there's something they did really good, and then there's something that they haven't done so well with, and then Jesus gives them all a call to action. So keep doing, stop doing, start doing, or focus on this. What are we doing well? What are we not doing well? And what does Jesus want us to keep doing? So even though that's what we're going to be looking at within the context of the scripture in Revelation, I want us to be asking a different question. Very similar. This morning, we're going to look at the church of Ephesus and what Jesus said to Ephesus. But I want us to be asking, what would Jesus say to our church? We're going to get to read what he said to the church of Ephesus, specifically to them in their local church context and their local community context. But I wonder, what would Jesus say to us? What would be Jesus's words of, man, you're doing great at this. Oh, you're not so good at this. Oh, so I'm gonna have you, I'm gonna tell you to keep doing, start doing, stop doing, focus on this. What might that be? So let's pray and we'll dive in. Jesus, thank you so much for how you teach us, how you lead us, how you move in our lives. And God, I would pray that as we read through your word and we learn from these other local churches, as we read through the motions they went through, I pray that we never lose sight of why we do what we do. Speak to us, Lord, for we are listening in your name. Amen. So let's take a look. The motions that this church was going through, you're going to see that as a big key throughout this morning, and we're going to see what we can learn from them. Revelation chapter 2, here's the first of the seven churches that Jesus is talking to. Here's what is written. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, meaning these words are for the specific church in Ephesus. We're going to hear what they did well, not did well, and what to do, and see how that applies to us. Here they are. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. That's talking about the seven churches. Verse 2, to the church of Ephesus, Jesus says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them to be false. You have persevered and endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Do you hear all the great things that they were doing? Jesus has a lot of great things to say about this church in Ephesus. You're hardworking. You're able to discern true apostles from, or the true word from false teachers. You're, you're able to hold to the truth. You don't compromise. You persevere. You endure. Like, man, that's a lot, They should feel great. They're doing a great job as a church. Verse four, here's the other side to it. There always is. Yet, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Oh, that stings, doesn't it? Jesus just got done saying, man, you're doing all of these things great, all of this hard work, all this perseverance, all this truth that you hold to, but you have forgotten why you do what you do. You have forsaken your first love. Love, You have forsaken the love you had at first. Verse 5, consider how far you have fallen. Repent. Here's the call to action. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Meaning that church will no longer have the influence of God moving through it. Let's focus again. The good, the bad, and the call to action. Once again, the good. They were hardworking they probably, now we don't know this for sure, but if I'm, I'm to take that and put it maybe in our context, might say something like, you serve really well. You work really hard with one another and within your local community. You go out of your way for other people. You're doing a lot of the right things. You're, you have a lot of great motions. You're working really hard. You've persevered, meaning you've gone through highs and you've gone through lows and you've stayed true to the faith. He says, you've even endured hardships. And he says, because of my name. So there was some level of persecution even there. They have done so much for Jesus, for their community. They are workers, 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 yet they've missed something. Now, before we get to that part, we need to know a little bit about the context of Ephesus. Because it fits. When you read that description of their church, it makes sense because of the community that they lived in. Ephesus in Bible times was a major city. It was right on the coast of the Mediterranean. It was actually known as one of the greatest Greek cities. And when when Greek was ruling the whole thing, it was a major city. Travel routes would come from Ephesus to all other major cities in the region. It was one of the most important trade areas in the entire region. So you had so many people coming to Ephesus and then leaving Ephesus. It was a hub, which means they were also really busy. A lot of people coming, a lot of people going, a lot of people working, a lot of people doing. So they were a good reflection of their community, of their city, a city that worked really hard, a city that maybe never sleeps, sounds very familiar. And now their church is a reflection of that. Of We work hard and we, we do what we have to do and we hold to the truth, yet, Jesus says, this I hold against you. You have forgotten why you're doing all of those things. You're missing the heart behind it you have forsaken your first love you forgot what it was like to just do things out of love not out of well you're supposed to work really hard and you're supposed to do this and you're supposed to do these motions no it's you've forgotten why you do what you do they've lost their heart what we see is this example that Jesus gives us with Ephesus is the right thing without the right heart is just another thing And Ephesus was great at doing a lot of different things. They were doing a lot of the right things, but they did not have the right heart. So from Jesus' perspective, it's just another thing. Just something else that you're doing. It's just another ad on your to-do list. It's just another part of your schedule. It's just another meeting. It's just another appointment. It's just another job. It's just another task. It's just one more thing. The right thing without the right heart, ends up being just another thing. Again, not the wrong thing, but the wrong heart. Keep using this word, motion, that they were doing a lot of the right motions. Motion, by definition, is just busyness. It's activity. Any way of moving... This would be what we're going to call motion. We're going to dis- define and describe motion in a very specific way. So when I say Ephesus was great at motion, they were great at staying active. They were great at constantly doing something. But there's a big difference between motion and movement. Motion says, I'm busy, I'm active, I'm doing all of these things. But you can be in motion and not go anywhere, right? You can be in motion and just walk in circles. You can be in motion and not accomplish anything. You can be in motion and not move forward. Movement, on the other hand, takes those motions and puts them with purpose and direction. That's movement. Movement says, I am here, I want to be there. It's gonna require me to move. It's gonna require me to have movement to get there. So in order to get there, using movement, I take very specific steps in a very specific direction. I moved, didn't I? I was there, now I'm here. The church of Ephesus was great at motions, but they're spinning in circles. And said, Jesus says, no, 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 no. I want you to be very specific and intentional and purposeful on where you're going and why you're going in that direction. The biggest difference between motion and movement is this word, Purpose. In motion, there's no purpose other than just constantly staying in motion. Motion says, as long as I'm active, as long as I'm busy, I must be accomplishing something, but that's not true. Once again, you can be in circles. Movement says, I have purpose, I have direction, I have calling, I have intentionality, and I will move in that direction. The church of Ephesus was great at motion, but it lost the purpose Why were they doing what they were doing? So he gives them a call to action, doesn't he? He says, oh, you've got to change. That call to action was to regain their purpose. I love how Jesus says this. He says, repent. We're going to talk about that word in a second, because it has a bad connotation to it in our world today. It's not a bad thing at all. He says, repent and do the things you did at first. Retrace your steps, if you will. You got caught up, because then this is what really happens When you think of motion and movement, most of us, we start with movement, right? Just when my kids caught that ball for the first time, they were very specific. They were very purposeful. They were very intentional with how they caught the ball. So it started with movement, but then you get used to something, don't you? The more you do something, the easier it becomes. The more you do something, the less you have to think about it. The more you do something, you are in danger of losing your purpose, as Jesus would say, losing your first love. So it started out as movement. I have no doubt for the church of Ephesus, they started with movement, but somewhere along the way, it turned into just motion. And Jesus is saying, no, retrace your steps. Get out of the cycle of just staying busy for busy sake and get back to where you started. Remember what it was like to follow me for the very first time. Remember what it was like to catch a ball for the very first time. Remember what it was like to put everything else out of your mind and just focus on me. Remember what it was like to have that kind of heart. Ephesus was a very busy church. They were a busy city. Their church reflected that. They were busy with motion. And he says, you need to find your purpose again. So what is our purpose As believers, not just for the church of Ephesus, what would we say is our purpose? Because that's where we get caught up into just motion. I don't really know what I'm supposed to be doing. I know I'm supposed to wake up, and I know I'm supposed to go to church, but then what am I supposed to be doing? I know I'm supposed to read my Bible, but I don't really know where to start. Now we're in this series of Revelation. That's a terrible place for me to start, so I'll just wait till we get into this next series. You see what happens? We, we unintentionally just get into motion because we don't know what to do. We don't know what the purpose is. We don't know where to aim. We don't know what those next steps are. So let's make it super simple. Jesus made it super simple. Love God and love others. If you've been in church a number of times, you have hopefully heard that phrase because it's not intended to be difficult. It's intended to be simple. It's difficult to live out, no doubt, but simplistic in the purpose 1 Corinthians chapter 13, if you know something about 1 Corinthians 13, what's that known as? It is known as the what chapter of the Bible? The love chapter. Yes, the love chapter. You hear it at weddings especially, but it really is in context of the church. Talking to a local church, not not a bride and a groom, it still applies there, but it was written to the local church. The first part, before Paul gets into his definition of love, super famous, the first three verses give the reason why we love the purpose behind this whole love God and love others. Listen to his words. Chapter 13, verse one. If I speak in human or angelic tongues, but do not have, say it with me, do not have what? Love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries uh, mysteries and knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have last time love, I gain nothing. Ooh, that stings a little bit because Paul just went through a bunch of motion that, as believers, as church people, as part of a local church, that we would say are great things. He starts out, he says, if I can speak in human or angelic tongues, what are some of the things that we do at church? We talk and we sing. It's really all we do at church, it feels like sometimes. We talk and we sing. We listen, talk, and sing. He says, and if we do all of that, but we don't have love, well, what's the point? Then he goes on he says, well, the talents and the gifts that I begin, if I have the gift of prophecy... And if I have all of this knowledge, if I have a faith that can move mountains as, as a believer, you would hope that that would be true, that God's given me talents, he's given me gifts, he's given me abilities. My faith keeps increasing all the things that we would hold high as a believer. He says, you might be able to do all of that, but if you don't have love, you're nothing. That last one, we talk a lot about giving and serving as we should, if I give everything that I possess to the poor, If I endure hardships, if if I don't think of myself, if I think about everyone else, and I give everything that I have to others, oh, but I do not have love, I gain absolutely nothing. Those are strong words. Paul is saying you might be doing all the right motions, using your gifts, using your abilities, using your talents, using your resources, doing all the right things, but if you don't have heart, the purpose. If you don't have love, you're just walking in circles. So Jesus then says, here's what you need to do. Repent. Now, repent, again, I said has a bad rap. Usually when I say the word repent, you think of somebody holding a sign. Repent for the end is near. That's usually what we think of. What repent literally means is exactly what Jesus said. Repent and go back to where he started. Repent and turn around. It's a U-turn. It's a 180. So if you're in the middle of doing a bunch of motions, he says, stop. Take a look at where you're at. Intentionally go back to where I started. That is what repentance looks like. Then you can begin to align your heart with God's and say, now the motions, remember, we're not necessarily wrong. All the things that we read in 1 Corinthians 13, that's great. Using your gifts, growing in your faith, giving to others, All of those things are great, but let's do it with purpose. What's our purpose? Everything that we do is for loving God and loving others. So then I do it again, and I make sure that my heart is focused on loving God and loving others, and loving God and loving others, and loving God and loving others. Motion, but with purpose, becomes movement. So I would call us to that same call to action, because I think as we go through each of these seven churches, I think there's going to be a little bit of truth for us in each of those. I think we could totally say, us as a church, maybe we've become a motion-busy church at times, where we do a lot of great things, but have we lost our heart? So I would want us to ask the same question that Jesus, or the, the same call to action that Jesus gave. Repent, stop for a second, evaluate, like, why am I doing what I'm doing? Maybe I need to go back to where I started. Maybe I need to find that heart again, that love again, that purpose of loving God, and loving others. Again, it might not be anything with the motion, just the purpose and the heart behind it. To go back to where we started, to retrace your steps and to take a good look at the why. So let me say this to us as local church Dawson, not the local church of Ephesus. But for us as a local church, can I say first and foremost, give give Jesus your heart? We love God and we love others, but if you're going to love God, He needs your heart not just your hands. Oftentimes we reverse those unintentionally. We feel like I've got to do all these things for God to love me. I have to do all these things to earn my way to God's love. I have to do all these things so I don't feel as bad about it. No, he says, no, just give me your heart. Let's start there. Give him your heart. Before you give him anything else, before you give him your talents, give him your heart. Before you give him your resources, give him your heart. Before you tithe, give him your heart. Before you try to serve, give him your heart. Before you do any motions, first, give him your heart. Here's a question for you to wrestle with today and maybe this week How is your personal relationship with Jesus? How's your personal relationship? Now, here's my guess, and I'm guilty of this too. If we were to sit down and I asked you that question and you actually answered me back, my guess is you would start to tell me about the things that you're doing. That's my guess. How's your personal relationship with Jesus? Actually, it's really good. And I'm I'm, I'm involved at church and I serve in my community and I do my best to treat others well. Oh, no, no, hang. On. I didn't ask what you did for him. I said how is your relationship with him? See the difference? how is your personal relationship with Jesus? If you'll let me make it maybe a little bit more convicting, maybe think of it like this. How would Jesus describe your personal relationship with him? Never mind, let's not talk about that one. That was too much. We don't have to stay there. No, 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 we don't need to stay there. (laughs) Because we probably will say something a little bit different. What do we? Then we ask Jesus the same question, and my guess is, at least in my life, he'd say, I mean, that's mostly true, Brian, but I also want more of your heart than more of just your hands. Not so much motion, but more movement. Give him your heart. Now, we also need to have a heart for others. Don't miss that other part, right? It's loving God and loving others. So let me ask you this question for you to think through, wrestle with today and this week. How are you being like Jesus to others? So once Jesus has your heart, please start there. It's going to be very difficult to be like Jesus if you're not first with Him. So you give Jesus your heart, and then you start saying, okay, with my movement, with purpose of loving God and loving others, everything that I do is for loving God and loving others. What does it look like to love this person like Jesus? What does it look like to love this person like Jesus? What does it look like to love my coworkers and my bosses and my community and the people I don't like and the people I don't agree with? How would Jesus handle those situations? What would Jesus do in those moments? How would Jesus love those people? Now you've got some purpose to begin to wrestle with. So we give Jesus our heart. We continue to wrestle with, well, how's my relationship with him, my personal relationship with him? But yes, movement says I'm loving God and I'm loving others. Everything that I do is wrapped up in loving God and loving others. The church of Ephesus struggled. They were a busy church that did a lot of right things but with a lot of wrong reasons. And it's interesting, if you actually read in Ephesians we see Paul had something very similar, not the exact same, but very similar in talking with him. Listen to this. He said, and, and how they talked with one another, he said this, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. Paul wrote to the early church of Ephesus, Paul's words, not Jesus' words. Paul said, instead we will speak the truth in, what is it? Love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. So even Paul recognized this early church of Ephesus saying, you guys are really busy, you're doing a whole lot, you're holding to the truth, that's great, but don't forget the love piece. Even Paul was reminding them of that early on in this church's life. Saying, don't forget not just what you're doing, but why you're doing it and also how you are doing it. Let me show you this, you might have seen some version of this before. Um, This is pretty common in a lot of different areas. The different quadrants or matrix, if you will, of love, or what we might call grace for this conversation, and truth. So based on what I just read out of Ephesians, what Paul recognized about the early church of Ephesus, he says, make sure you speak the truth in love. See, Ephesus, even according to Jesus' words, they held to the truth. They did not tolerate anything that was not of God. That's great, But that can also be very harsh. You probably know some people that hold to truth but do it in a wrong way. So we would probably, I would assume that the church of Ephesus probably lived right here. High truth, low grace, or low love. High truth, you speak the truth, but how you speak it and how you live that out is with low love and low grace. That is very harsh, isn't it? In fact, if you live here, If you act towards others in this way, you're probably using truth even as a weapon. You probably say the phrase, well, I just call it like I see it. Yeah, and you hurt people along the way. (laughs) Your truth becomes a shotgun of just everything that you think and say. No love, no grace, but yes, high on truth. True, but let's try to not sugarcoat it, but let's also find some grace in there. So Ephesus was probably in this area. Now, sometimes we find ourselves way over here, high love and high grace, but super low truth. Now, this is, you'll find yourself, this is probably where most people live because this is where people are nice, (laughs) loving and grace-filled and agreeable. But I'm not going to say what I really think I need to say. I'm going to agree with you, even though I really don't think that's right. I don't want to hurt your feelings, so I'm just going to like shake my head. Okay, that's fine, even though it's really not fine, but I'm not going to tell you it's fine. Families are great at living here until Christmas, and then we all move over here. (laughs) You know how it happens. Now, let me tell you something about people that live here. You don't realize it, but you're very manipulating. Because, oh, I heard some (laughs) ooze. Because you're wanting everybody to get along at the cost of truth. That's manipulation. Anyway, moving on. I told you, it's going to be a convicting morning. This side over here, low truth and low grace. You're totally checked out. You don't care. You don't care to give your opinion. You don't care to give the truth. And you don't care to give anybody grace because you just don't even care about them. This becomes a dangerous place. Now, here it doesn't start dangerous because what tends to happen is this becomes a defense mechanism. You kind of just shut down. I don't wanna like hurt people, but I definitely don't really know what to say, so I'm just gonna kind of mind my own business. If you start saying I mind my own business, it's not my problem. You're living here. Let me tell you something. You live here long enough, do you know what this is a breeding ground for? Addictions. Addictions. Because you're not paying attention to the truth. No, I'm good, I'm fine, it's all good. And there's no love and there's no grace. Addictions thrive here because you disconnect, you isolate, you don't allow anybody else in. So that leaves us with this spot. High grace and high truth. It's where Jesus is. Jesus comes in and says this, or we're told this about Jesus. John chapter one, verse 14. The word, that's another name for Jesus, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, ready? Full of grace and truth full of grace and truth, not with some grace and with some truth. It's not with half grace and with half truth. It's not grace in this situation and truth in this situation. It's not sometimes this one and sometimes that one. No, it's full all the time, every time, truth and grace. Jesus is the only one that's going to be able to do that perfectly. But I would love us to try. I would love us to try. To be full of grace and truth. Truth and love. It's what the church of Ephesus struggled with. Doing all the right things, but forgetting their first love. Forgetting why they did what they did. Forgetting who they were even doing it for our purpose is to love God and love others. 1 John a very simple and I hope significant verse for you. 1 John chapter 4 verse 19. We love because he first loved us. We love. If you're finding yourself caught in the motions and going through the motions, stop. Like Jesus said, Go back to where you started. Retrace your steps. Why do we even love? Why do we even bother? Why do we try to love God and love others? Because He first loved us, because He went first. You want to know the truth? The truth is, we are full of sin, full of mistakes full of rebellion against God. We talked about that a few weeks ago. We don't like being told what to do. The truth is the wages of sin is, do you know it? Death. My penalty for my sin is death. Your penalty for your sin is death. That's the truth. It sounds really harsh, doesn't it? Of course it does. So let's talk about the grace and the love part. For God so loved the world. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus our Lord. He went first. That's love, that's grace. So that's why we love. That's why our purpose is loving God and loving others. So, if I could call our church to be like the church of Ephesus, I would say, let's keep working hard. Let's not stop the right motions and the right things. And yes, let's serve and let's give and let's share and let's help. Let's do all the right things. But may we never forget our first love. May we never forget our purpose. I don't want to be part of a church that walks in circles. I'm gonna be part of a church that's full of a bunch of believers that are focused on the most simple and profound truth in life. That we are called to love God and love others like Him. To live here requires us to walk with people, not just point at people. It requires us to be involved and invested, not checked out. It's a little risky, it feels a little dangerous. Relationships can get a little bit shaky, but your relationship with Jesus will be stronger than ever. So, my last question is what do you need to give to Him? How do you start moving towards high grace, high love, and high truth? Have you given Him your heart yet? Because that's where you start. Let's pray together. Jesus, we come before you, and first and foremost, we want to give you our heart. If there's anybody watching online or, or here in this room that has yet to give Jesus their heart, I pray that it would happen right here and right now. That we would recognize the truth that we are full of sin and the wages of our sin is death. But Jesus, because of your great love and your great grace, you went to the cross and paid for our sins. And your resurrection from the grave has given us life now and for all of eternity we're told by your word that if we believe that with all of our heart and we speak it with our mouth that we will be saved so I pray that we do that here and now for the first time or for again and again and again just to declare it that you are our Lord and you are our King and you are our Savior Jesus I would ask that you would help us to walk with people like you walked with people that we would talk with people like you talked with people full of truth and full of grace every time and with everyone but not without losing heart. May we never forget our first love, you. May we always hold on to our purpose, to love you and to love others. In Jesus' name, amen.